He was born poor, very poor, at times had no shoes, very poor. His father would be in and out of his life for quite a while and eventually, before his teenage years, would leave, and it would be to his mother to raise him. He had no other siblings because they all died early on. His mother said this to him, Milton, you're now going out into the world to make a man of yourself. My best advice to you is, when you tackle a job, stick to it until you have mastered it. And that's what he did. 14, he had his first job, really didn't work out well, went and got another job. 18, he opened his first business. It failed six years later. He opened another one. It failed three years after that. He opened another one, the Lancaster Carmel Company. On your seats are Hershey Kisses, unless you sat on them, and then they are still on your seat, just in an uncomfortable place. He would later sell that company for a million dollars to form the Hershey Company. Here are two quotes by him. God speaks through men to speak the truth, our hands to do his work here below, voices and clean hands to make liberty and love prevail over injustice and hate. Without faith in our work, we cannot succeed in a long measure in life's undertaking, and without faith, we cannot know our God and Creator. He was a strong believer that led much of his life. He was also a steward. And I'm going to do something that I've never done before. We're going to see how it works. Um, I love people. I love history. I just love seeing their lives. I am going to use Hershey, Milton Hershey for every example throughout my entire sermon today. You're going to learn something about his life. He gifted you this morning with a Hershey's kiss, and, and he got applause from one person. <laughs> I mean, Carol was passing them out, and I think Carol Scott was passing them out. Some people were asking, can we just put one down and take two? We actually had enough. We'll have extras. If you need more, you can get some afterwards. But he truly was a steward. And when it comes to time, talents, and treasure, his life is such an example of the ways to steward those things. And so I'm going to use him throughout this message. All right, here's where things get a little different. That's my introduction. I don't usually say that, but that's my introduction. Now, turn and you would if you, turn if you would in your bulletins to the second page uh, following, uh, what is the page is it, Carol? Page six. Mm-hmm. You have an outline of the sermon. You have all the passages. I am going to read the passages for each point and then talk through them without going line by line like we normally would. All right, I want the bigger overview, and I'm going to highlight them. And I have three points to make about each one of these areas. <laughs> Got to keep a three-point sermon. It's the same three points for every one of them. Be aware, be present, and be redemptive. When it comes to time, when it comes to your talents, when it comes to your treasure, be aware be present, and be redemptive. Psalm 90, verse 10, we heard it read already. 
The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And then verse 12, this is a prayer. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Ecclesiastes 3, very, very famous. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And he continues on. Many more things. There's a time for these things. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Time. Here's the first thing I want to encourage you to think about if you want to steward your time well, right? Be aware. Be aware of the brevity of your life and my life. That's what the psalmist is talking about. Our years, 70, maybe 80, and he says, so teach me to number my days. Now, 80 may seem a long time. 100, 100 may seem, but let me ask you, how quickly is time going for you right now? How many times have you looked back and you thought, oh my goodness, where did those two months, two years, 10 years, where did that go? How did my child suddenly become this age? How is it that I'm sending a kid off to college? The first thing about stewarding our time is to be aware of the brevity of our lives. It is truly short. So Lord, teach us to number our days. Number two, is to be present in our time, right? And this is really fascinating because we have this and we don't. There is a Hebrew concept of time that isn't looking at this spectrum that just keeps going on. It's looking at a duration, a particular period. Hey, you heard it in Ecclesiastes and you hear it a number of times. There's a time for this and a time for this and a time for this. There's periods where something is happening. If you want to truly steward your time, you need to be present in those times. Have you ever been sitting at a family meal, texting and surfing the internet while your family's eating? You are not present in that time. Right? Think about all the times that we have, and we are going so many different directions, and we're not there. We're not in that time. If you want to steward the time that God has given to you, we need to be present in that time, and you can just think through your life, work, family time, when you're driving. I almost got run over by a guy who was texting while he was driving yesterday. Be in that moment and do what it takes to be in that moment. If you've got work to do, do the work and then go have the family dinner. I say this, and it's going to sound very, very self-serving. Uh, but it is not for me, it's for Trey, right? <laughs> Don't stay out late on a Saturday night, 
because you cannot be present for God on Sunday morning because you're going to fall asleep. And it's usually going to be during my sermon, not his playing. But you've got to think about the times you have to be in them. And number three, be redemptive with your time. Paul says in Ephesians 5, to make the most of our days. In Greek, it's to buy, to buy back, to buy up. It's that idea. Because the days are evil. And here's what he means. Our days right now are filled with wickedness. They will degenerate. And you've seen this in your life. How many times have you gone through a day and you got to the end and went, what happened? Why did I not do this? Like I accomplished nothing. Because entropy is where we naturally go. It's not naturally that we're going to make good things happen. It's not just naturally we're going to stumble into good stewardship, good parenting, good friendship, good anything. We have to make the most of it. And Paul starts from this perspective. They are bad naturally. Use your time. Make the most. Buy up. Use your time to redeem the bad, to make it good by making wise decisions with your time, recognizing its brevity so you know you need to make them, recognizing the present moments that you have and making the most of them to redeem that time, to make it good for you and for others. Hershey maintained that hard luck and misfortune were actually good for you. That they tested your strength and your character. And here's a quote. Therefore, you should take your problem as you asked it. Nay, pray for it. Difficulties show men what they are. And you live in the moment, even when the moment is hard. I mean, you all know this, right? In Scripture, it talks about how trials produce character. And yet, what do we do in all of our trials? What's our only desire? Get me out! How often has it been, I'm in the midst of this, and Lord, I want out, but Lord, I'm in this right now. What do you want to teach me? Where do you want to take me? What do you want to do in my life? I'm open right now, in this moment. That, that's what he's talking about. And... He definitely got a taste of the brevity of life. He bought a ticket in 1911. Cost him $300, which was approximately, actually that was the deposit, that wasn't even the ticket. $300 deposit, which is approximately $8,000 today. It was a ticket on a ship that would sail in 1912. Really, really big ship. But he didn't go on it. That ship sunk, the Titanic, and he still had the ticket. And they still have it in the Hershey Museum. Just think about that. Holding that ticket after that ship went down and knowing that more than 1,000 people lost their lives, does that give you a sense of, my goodness, what am I going to do with my life? Right? We get it every time you go to a funeral. It makes us all think about our life and about what we're doing and about how important it is because somebody has passed and suddenly we go, what am I going to do with my life? He got that. And it impacted him 
I'm going to tell you more of his story as we go along. His story is pretty amazing. All right, time. Be aware, be present, be redemptive. Recognize its shortness. Be present in an actual moment, wherever you are, wherever God has you. Be there, not somewhere else. And be redemptive. Look for the ways you can use your time to bless others, to bless your family, to bless God, and use it in that way. Number two, talent. Exodus 31, 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by my name Belzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. 1 Peter 5. Oh, it's actually 4, I think. Maybe it's five. I'm confused. Anyway, I'm going to read it. Is it four? I thought it was four. Um, it said five here. It said five up there. I was thinking, no, I think it's four. It is four. Um, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks to the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And then Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, whatever, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Talents. Number one, be aware. Here is your awareness. Everybody in this room who belongs to Jesus Christ, you have natural talents that God has given you. You were born with them, you developed them, you cultivated them. You also have a spiritual gift that the Spirit of God put in your life. You have a spiritual gift. Here's the first thing. You need to be aware of your gifts. You need to know you have them. They are gifts of God. They are talents that he has given to you. And over here, I mean, we just read about craftsmanship. We read about guys coming and working on gold and silver, and and then we read about service because there are varied gifts. Some of you, you can cook well. That can be a gift of God. You maybe are athletic. Maybe you see um, shapes well. You know, over here, maybe you have a gift of mercy or of of generosity or something, but these are gifts from God that we are called to cultivate. But you need to be aware you have them, and you do. You have them. Number two, to be present with those gifts. You need to come ready to use them. Like, you need to step into it, even as I do. You need to step into your gifts. I mean, can I tell you that if you are really good at, fill in the blank. I'm going to throw one out that you are really good at baseball. Maybe you need to be coaching. Maybe you're really good at sewing. Maybe you could use that to sew things for a nonprofit that is providing clothing for something. We need to use our natural and our spiritual gifts. 
and the church needs them. I mean, here's the thing about spiritual gifts. God, very specifically, God the Spirit did not give anyone all the spiritual gifts. I cannot be the church. I have to have everybody else because God spread them out. And he said, the only way you'll get the fullness of what I want in the church is if you and 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 you are all exercising your gifts together as the body of Christ. Because that's how he made the gifts. That we would need each other. But you've got to know your gift and you've got to step in and be present in that gift and actually look to build it up. And be redemptive with your gift. Think about the ways that your giftedness could be a blessing to other people. Think about the ways that your giftedness could lift something off somebody else's plate. I mean, I don't know if, I had them all stand up last week. We're gonna do that again. I don't know if the guys who do setup, I don't know if that's their spiritual giftedness of service, whatever that is, but I can tell you something. It is an absolute gift to all of the leaders of this church because they come in and they set all this stuff up so that we can focus on other things. They remove something. And I have people that do this to me a lot. They'll say, could I do this for you to offload that? Be redemptive with your gifting. Look for the ways, not that you can just use it, but you could take a situation and make it better. You could take a person and you could do a true blessing in their life because you're being redemptive with your gifts. In 1937, the U.S. Army wanted to find a ration bar that they could give to troops. This was what they had to create. Whatever this ration bar was going to be, they had four qualities to the ration bar. Number one, four ounces. Number two, it had to be resistant to heat. It had to be able to stand something that could go at least 90 degrees without melting or falling apart or whatever it would be. Number three, I just forgot. What was number three? Oh, man. Oh, duh. <laughs> the most important one of the actual bar. You had to have high energy. Um, you had to actually eat it and had to do something for you. Um, but number four, they wanted it to taste not much better than a boiled potato because they didn't want the men getting addicted to them. They went to Hershey to develop the bars. And they developed the Ration D bar. Had everything they said, it was like a chunk. It was like a brick. And that was part of the way they kept it from melting. And it was so bad that some of the men would actually, when, not, when their superiors weren't looking, they would just toss it. Um, it was that bad. But they used it. And eventually, they developed the Hershey Tropical Ration Bar, where they added some taste to it some sugar. And throughout World War II, they were producing 24 million bars a week. By the end of the war, over 3 billion of these ration bars went to U.S. troops. Hershey supplied more rations than any other 
single entity to the army during World War II with these bars. Now, by the time they did those, they were a little smaller. They were one and two ounce, and, but he used his natural talent. You know what his first job was that business failed? Candy maker. <laughs> Second job, candy maker. Third job, candy maker. But he made it that time. And then he went from caramel to milk chocolate. But he used a natural talent and ended up feeding an army, literally. Because God can take our natural talents, the things that we were born with, the things we learn, the things we cultivated, the things we love, and he can use them redemptively for the sake of others. That's what happened here. All right, last one. Treasure. We're going to talk about money. We don't do it very often. In fact, I'm not sure I've actually preached on money, like in two years. I've taught on it during the season where we're doing pledges, just, you know, short little lessons. We've had a talk, we've had sermons on generosity. We've touched on it here and there where it... For the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about money. Please know my heart. I am not here and never have been to stiff arm you, to guilt you, to make you feel bad, anything like that. But I am going to teach what Scripture says and then give you over to God, and you can deal with him about however you're feeling about whatever is said. Okay? Matthew 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hey, this passage here is not in the notes. This is 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 2 Corinthians 9.6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. This is what you hear me say every single time we talk about pledges. It's coming from this passage. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Number one, when it comes to treasure, to money, to finances, be aware of the impact that money has on the soul. It's one of two directions. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, where you put your treasure, your heart is going to follow that direction. On the other hand, in Timothy, it says, for a root of evil is money. It will capture you. Instead of you controlling it, it will control you. Where you are putting your money is impacting your soul. It's impacting your heart, your faith, your walk. Timothy, I mean, in Timothy, Paul even says, some have wandered away from the faith because of how they're dealing with money. It's that significant. 
Be aware of the impact of money. Number two, be present in the spending of money. I use a credit card for 90% of what I purchase. We pay it off every, every month. But you know the danger in a credit card. It's really different to walk into a place and hand them cash than it is to hand them a credit card. Because that credit card, it's just this blue plastic thing that I sign something on and they give it back to me and, well, that was great. When they take my cash, they take my cash. It's a very different feeling. But if you're not present in the spending of your money, you won't know where it's all going. You won't recognize how much you're spending here or here. It's that time where you get to the end of a month, or maybe it's six months, and you go, oh my goodness, look at this debt, and I have that to show for it. Why did I even get that? And then a couple years later, that thing's broken down, but you still have the debt that you're paying off. Be present in your money, what you are doing with it. Budget. Pay attention to how you are spending, what you're spending it on, when you're spending it, how you are spending it. Be present in your money so it cannot control you. And number three, be redemptive with your spending. Let's say you are a person that makes $100,000 a year. Right? That is the median income. Actually, it's a little low for Frisco, but that's the median income almost for Frisco. $100,000 a year. If you are giving $100 a month to the kingdom of God, I didn't say to redemption, to the kingdom of God, you are not giving enough. You are hoarding your money for you. Now, I'm not saying you need to give 10%. I've already talked about the tithe multiple times. But I'm telling you, if you are only giving that you are not giving enough to the kingdom of God. You are going this direction toward the root of all evils and becoming more and more trapped by your funds, by your finances. God calls us to be generous. Wherever you are, whether you make $25,000 a year or $600,000 a year, to be generous in your giving. And that is the way that you can be redemptive with your finances. Whether you are giving here and it's being used for the various ministries that are being done at redemption, or whether you're giving it to some charity, whatever it is, use your finances to bring redemption into the life of other people and let your heart follow it. He failed in a number of businesses. I mean, you just saw it, wrote them out, and then he finally got made, was successful. Here are some of the things that, actually, I want to read you one quote by him first. He said this early on as he was being successful. I'm speaking to employees. Whatever money you boys earn during your lifetime, use it wisely. Spend it for the good of others, and you will be richly rewarded. 
which is basically what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Store up treasures in heaven, where they can't be destroyed, where they can't be lost. Right? That was his kind of philosophy. But he followed through with it. Like, they weren't words. Here are some of the things that Milton Hershey did. He built the largest chocolate factory in the nation. Largest candy factory, period. He surrounded that factory with a town that he built for his employees because he wanted them to have a better life. He built good homes, better than most of what was during that period of time. Tree-lined streets, public transportation, first-rate schools, a huge park for kids, the nation's largest private free zoo. During the Great Depression, he actually came up with construction projects in the town just so people could have work. He gave to the five churches that were in Hershey, which is what it's called. He gave to those five churches $20,000 each for the relief of the congregants so that during the Great Depression, they didn't have to give as much to the churches. He built a botanical garden, a museum, a sports arena, all for these people to have a better life using his money. But here is the greatest thing that he did. He said this when he was young. If I ever become rich, and he became rich. I mean, I'm going to show you how much in a minute. He became exceedingly rich. If I ever become rich, I'm going to use my money to build schools, to give every boy and girl an opportunity to get an education. In 1909, he built a school for orphans. That school today does 1,800 kids, all of them underprivileged, every year. Elementary, high school kids. In 1918, without anybody knowing, he gave all of his shares of Hershey to the school board as a trust for the school. 60 million dollars. And to give you an idea of how much that was then, also in 1918, coincidentally, Coca-Cola sold, the company sold, for $18 million. He gave away $60 million for orphans. The school today is one of the wealthiest schools there is, and they're doing all of this philanthropy they built a teaching hospital through it. When he died, he had his house because he believed in stewarding his finances. He believed in using his money for other people redemptively, and he did it through his life. That's the kind of thing that we are called to. Now, I don't have $60 million dollars. I'm not even sure I have 60 right now, but, but whatever we have, wherever you are, God wants to use <laughs> your time, whatever talents he's given to you, whatever finances you have, he wants to use them to bless others. He wants to use them to build up his kingdom. He wants to use them honestly to bless you. I would never have thought, and 
I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. It's truly not meant to be. I would never have thought growing up that I would have had a gift in preaching. I hated standing in front of people. Like I was the kid in the class that would get as far away as I could. I didn't want to raise my hand to like answer a question. If I had a question, I wouldn't even raise my hand. I'd lean over to somebody else and say, would you please ask this question? Because I was so shy. Like I didn't want to be in front of people. Now, I don't look at this as like I just willed myself into this. This is the way from the very beginning that God seemed to use me. It was the way that people surrounded me would say, this is how God is using you. And so when I come up to preach, I do everything I can to prepare. But I also just go, Lord, use this. I mean, Holy Spirit, move, because this is your giftedness, not mine. And I get so blessed. I love what I'm doing. When I do this, most of the time, I actually gain energy as I'm preaching. Now, afterwards, I crash. But while I'm doing it, it's like I am made for this, and I'm out here, and I'm just sharing God's word. And it's when we use our talents for the Lord, it can actually energize us and our finances. All of those things, God says, steward these for me. Hershey was actually in New York when the Titanic was supposed to take off. But he took a German vessel a couple of days beforehand to go back home. And so he missed that. And this particular vessel, it actually went the same direction the Titanic went, through the same waters, and even radioed back, there are dangerous icebergs. But as we all know, the Titanic was thought to be invincible and we can just go through here and it's, it was not. That man got an opportunity to kind of see his life pass before his eyes, to pass through something and to look back and try and warn other people who wouldn't listen. Brothers and sisters, let's not come to the end of our lives and have not done the most valuable thing we can do Steward what God has given to us that belongs to him. The only thing that's going to matter when we go into eternity. What we did with what he has given to us. Pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for trusting us. Thank you for trusting us with finances, with talents, with our very lives with our families. Lord, help us to see the sobering responsibility that we have as well as the joy we can gain in truly stewarding what you have given, of being those people that would step up and say, Lord, here we are to follow you, to lift up your kingdom, to give over what we have for you. Because you are worthy of that, Lord. 
We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen.